Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. On the last episode of Guilt. For a better term, the mill wanted to move on, if you like, and, and was not sort of keen for some of the stuff to being re-examined or, or pursued. So that, that um, and the police weren't necessarily pushing that. To, to make that happen, so that was fr- a, a major frustration. The, co- the, co- the cop cars and the cars that were there were parked on Williams Road, yeah. um, and we could just see heaps of people just walking through, and just um, just doing like a you know how they kind of stand in the line and go through all the grass. Yeah, um, that's kind of what it looked like to us. It's violence that may disturb some people. Today we can officially announce that New Zealand Steel has cracked the code. On the 21st of June 2004, scientist Jim Donnelly vanished from his work at the Glenbrook Steel. From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolfe, and this is Guilt. Nothing in the early days to indicate that we were looking for somebody who had um, been any misadventure. You're on hands and knees, and you, and you don't know what you're going to find. It started off as a joke, and then it got rather scary. In the last episode, we spoke to one of Jim's closest friends, Clayton Hills, where we learned about the slow police response in the early hours of Jim's disappearance. We also heard about a concerning directive issued by NZ Steel to employees that instructed them not to speak to police or media without a company rep being present, and how that likely resulted in mill staff not coming forward with further information. I also visited the mill itself, and in particular, the southern side via Williams Road. I spoke to former residents of Williams Road, and as luck would have it, discovered that one of the original detectives in charge of Jim's case was her father, and he'd be happy to speak to me. His name is Rich Morrison. He's now retired, and at the time I first called him, in typical Kiwi fashion, he answered the phone from his boat. Just to have a chat about the Jim Donnelly case. Sorry, my phone, I can barely hear you here. Sorry. But I'm out on the boat uh, having a fish. Oh, are you? Catching nothing. Oh, right. Oh, so probably not the best time for a talk now anyway. No, we'll probably sit down and have a coffee, mate. Um, it was my file, so uh, if you had any questions, I could ask them. And what about this evening? Are you um, available? Hey, mate, one of my rides has just gone off finally. <laughs> okay, I'll, so, let, I'll let you go. All right, mate, oh. let's let's hook up, a, hook up a time, whether it be the phone or in... Uh, I'm not sure if it was intentional, but the pun there had me chuckling as I got off the phone. I managed to have a chat to Rich, and we arranged a time to meet in person. Rich has retired from the police, despite only being in his 50s. This is due to a brain aneurysm, that if it wasn't for the quick thinking of his friends, 
likely would have taken his life. While Rich did survive, he said it has impacted his voice slightly, and he says he's not quite as sharp as he once was. I can tell that he's a guy with a great sense of humour, and likely would have been a real challenge in a battle of wits in his time. I meet him at his daughter's home, where he surprised her for her birthday, grandchildren eagerly waiting for their promised trip to the store. To clarify, Rich was not one of the police involved in the immediate searches for Jim, but was given the file shortly after his disappearance. I ask him his position at the time, and to go back to the start, and what he can recall of the investigation. Remember, this case was 18 years ago, and I must say, I'm impressed with Rich's recall of detail after all these years. Um, at the time, Jim, this all happened, can you just say like, what your position was at the police? Okay, I was one of the detectives working at a Pukakai. Uh, there was a detective sergeant and I think four or five detectives that were working under them. And uh, to be honest, I cannot remember which of my detective sergeants were. It was either uh, Dave French or um, uh, Norm Hewitt. Because about that time when they changed it, I can't actually remember which was who the boss. But um, we all we all went there and we helped with the investigation. Yeah. Um, we helped. Uh, Don't mind me. I'm just gonna. Hey, right, we walked around the mill and saw the information that was that we'd found. Uh, <coughs> some of the clues we'd found there. It was all pointed out to us by the staff. Um, and then I don't know. It's probably two or three weeks later. They gave me the file just to to follow, follow up um, other things that had happened and try and solve how he went missing. Um, but no, I, I remember it was probably probably a month after that um, I heard that a um, French sailor sailed into Waiuku, which is, um, you know, we pretty much have to know what you're doing to sail in there because it's um, all dry at low tide. But anyway, he came in there and he was looking for someone to uh, join him on his boat. He wanted to, um, uh, I, don't, I can't remember whether he was going to go to, uh, Cook Islands or something like that, and um, during during our inquiry, we found out that Tim was a sailor. He liked a bit of sailing, wanted to do some more. Uh, so he'd come in to look for help him on his boat, and I thought, yes, that'll be it. You know, there's a bit of a you know a good clue, and um, it all fits in. You know, Tim's missing, and he likes sailing, and this guy needed a a crew member. Um, so finally, I was able to uh, contact him on a. Um, satellite phone, it was very expensive and I had to get some permission to, to uh, do that and I spoke to, I can't remember the guy's name, but um, and he was just down in, in Nelson, he sailed down to Nelson, and he said, no, no no one else on the boat, he said, I don't know if the uh, cabbages were missing, you know um, so no. This story about the odd sailing boat that was moored in the nearby Manukau Harbour at the time, and then vanished the day after Jim's disappearance, is one which still sticks in the mind of many locals that follow this case This has led to many speculating that Jim had somehow arranged to depart on the boat, presumably to start a new life. I did question Inspector Dave Glossop about this boat, and he is 100% confident that Jim did not depart on this particular vessel. Curious though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, you hear these stories later, so you don't know if people have sort of added a bit to it because Jim's missing and I think it was that. But, but any anyway, it was worth uh, following up. Yeah. But um, no, that that French sailor was sound like an awesome fella, and um, he said, "No, it's a small boat, and he'd know if someone else was there, and he'd know if any food mis- was missing." You know? mm. um, <clears throat> so back when when it all happened that yep. morning, which was a Monday. Um, the police were on site quite quickly, weren't they, because he'd yep. been acting strange in the days leading up. Yeah, well, I spoke to the people that, that saw him on that morning. Um, in, the, in the inquiry, we found out that um, he had a relatively normal Monday morning at home, like he made the kids uh, lunches, things like that, I remember. And you, you just have to bear in mind if my, my, if my memory is not... Yeah, yeah, as no, good as it right. used to be, but I'll, I'll just tell you how I remember it. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully, yeah, it's not right so far. So, uh, she had a normal um, day at home. Uh, took the kids, uh, made their lunches. Um, I don't think he took them to school. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, on the way to work, he went to the uh, BP on the motorway. Went in there and bought a, uh, I think it was a muffin or something like that, which which was normal. Um, he got to work on time for work. Um, two of the people that I spoke to said that he walks up. Um, this, this, he wasn't the friendliest guy, but he wasn't a bad guy. He sort of got on with people. Um, that wave out when they saw him. And both of them, uh, on uh, on his way to his work, he, he had to go up a few uh, iron, 
walkways, and uh, one of the guys says, I, I saw him and jump, waved him, and he turned around and walked the other way. And I only thought, that's, that's not Jim, you know. And the other one said the same, He's, and Jim didn't, didn't answer. Um, so that's all I can tell you about that morning. Next minute, uh, next uh, next thing I remember is again we went to the uh, scene quite early, and his, his property was found in that uh, acid bath, and that had a small um, entry that to I don't think you would, um, and I think we proved that you couldn't get through uh, that area. <coughs> so the, his uh, his property was found inside this acid bar bath, and it would be about here to the oh, here to the wall. So what do they? Four metres, right? Yeah. Right back. And in that, through uh, opposite that door, uh, his helmet, helmet uh, yellow helmet, was on the ground. His property was thrown in there, and I think it was almost to the other side, so we don't know if he threw it that far or whether it hit the, the backside and bounced back okay. type thing. We don't know. But on the other, other side of the, um, of the acid bath uh, were his keys... His wallet, um, I can't remember, it might have been the keys uh, that he needed around uh, to get around the uh, site. Um, uh, I don't think there was a phone, it's probably early, almost early, too early for phone phone. Uh, I think he had a palm pilot or something like that. Yeah, it was, things, it was quite a few, you know, three or four things that were in yeah. there, I can't remember, but it'll be yeah. on the file. But I suppose at that time when you guys found out whatever day it was you found out about that, you must have thought, shit, okay, something's going on here. If you find stuff in an acid bath, what were your initial thoughts at that point? Um, well, you know, you, you do think of something foul happened, but the, I didn't see any particular uh, evidence, apart from the fact that Jim was gone, um, or we couldn't find him, um, or I didn't suspect anything uh, sinister. Um, yeah, I... <clears throat> I'm probably jumping a bit forward, but there was some talk that uh, he had dis- uh, discovered something about the uh, the ash or the burn off from the from when they get the um, get the iron out of the sand. Am I making sense here? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, that, that uh, the, the, what do they call it? The, the, the slag or you know? The, oh, okay. Yep. yep. Apparently, he was onto a recipe to get um, can't not the titanium thing or something yep, like that. Yep, to get them out of there. That um, apparently would make make the slag worth more than the steel. Yeah. Um, so there was there was some talk of that. I can't, I can't actually remember who told me that, but a couple of di- different people had that um, were aware that he was looking into that. Yeah. People from the actual mill, or just. Um, I think it, I think it was one guy from the mill that might have been his wife. I'm not too sure, but they were talking about um, getting this uh, this key element out of the um, slag. Yeah, and that that slag was a real problem for the mill because I, I lived I lived to uh, I used to live next to the mill. Um, I got on with the farm, the farm manager. I used to hunt. I used to hunt all around there, pheasants and ducks and rabbits and whatever. So I knew that. Uh, pretty well, but um, one of these great valleys that always had a few pheasants and what have you in there, they were filling it up, uh, filling it up with the um, slag, you know. Yeah. So it's a bit of a pain where you um, have a nice gully with a, a good creek in the middle and beautiful trees, and they pull it up and turn it into flat grass at the end of the day, you know. I can't remember, but uh, Rock he was talking about the ing- ingredient that they were that was apparently present in that slag, mm. so they knew enough. Yeah. About that, and apparently he, he figured out was looking at a way how to get that out. Yeah. And if you do that, uh, suddenly this problem for the mill, which is the slag, which looks terrible, uh, it kind of ruins the, uh, yeah. the nearby country country area. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so make that very valuable. Yeah. You know. And maybe it still will be. Oh, and and since this has happened, um, I've heard a couple of times in the media uh, people talking about. Uh, this thing in the slag that um, if they can get it out it'd be fantastic and someone was looking into that and, and things like that so who knows mm. I don't yeah. know What Rich is referring to here is another theory that is featured prominently in the media and around local water coolers and that's that Jim had come up with some way to extract titanium from the slag left over after the iron had been removed remember titanomagnetite is the iron sand from which NZ steel is able to reduce to produce the steel itself. There are elements of titanium in the sand, 
and if it were possible to somehow efficiently remove the titanium, then the slag would likely be more valuable than the steel itself. As far as I'm aware, this is not a project Jim was working on, and according to Dave Glossop, who did look into this theory, it's theoretically impossible to do such a thing. Remember, Jim's role at the mill was a process engineer, not a scientist. We're not talking about labs with beakers and Bunsen burners. But even if we hypothesize that it were possible, why would this then result in Jim's disappearance? Either way, it is a theory that I will look into in an upcoming episode. Remember, my goal is to eliminate every theory, no matter how bizarre, so we're left with the clearest possible picture. And as you can probably tell, we have many episodes to go yet. I asked Rich what he can remember from the initial search. So initially, that initial search. Yeah, we, so we looked everywhere for um, any, any sign of uh, obvious violence, like blood or things like that, never found anywhere. Um, there's no one there that particularly hated him or uh, there's no, no one, um, there doesn't seem to be any reason that um, someone would hurt him. Um, uh, people said he was a good worker. Um, from memory, I think he, he wasn't the the um, most popular, but people didn't hate him either. You know, is how I understand it, and uh, hopefully, I haven't got that wrong. This is just another of the bizarre circumstances of this case. If Jim had been the victim of foul play, then where was the evidence? One thing that I think is often overlooked is the fact that it's often considered, to the exclusion of all other places that whatever happened to Jim happened in the rolling mill plant, as this is where Jim was last seen, and this is where the items were found. But in reality, they weren't found for five days, so could have been placed there by anybody. Jim was familiar with other areas of the mill, so it wouldn't be a stretch to think he may have left the rolling mills plant that morning. So what level of search was done throughout the other areas of the mill? We do have to bear in mind that this is a site that covers hundreds of hectares with dozens and dozens of huge buildings. Finding direct evidence with no idea of where to look would have been like trying to find a needle in a haystack. As Rich is a keen fisherman and had plenty of spare time in the area around the estuary, I was keen to ask his thoughts on the possibility that Jim may have somehow ended up in the water that morning. Have you done much fishing around that sort of? Age? Yeah, lots. I lived there for um, I don't know how many years, probably ten years or right about. Um, and I've, I've net, net fish down there. I've shot ducks all around there, out on the, out on the edge of the river. Um, so I think the chances of him going out at the right time, like a high tide about to go down. Niwa is New Zealand's historical tide forecaster, and I've checked their database, which shows that it was high tide at eleven forty one a.m on the morning of Jim's disappearance. So, so there is a chance that yeah. he could get, get sucked out and out the heads of the manicure. There is a chance, but I'd say um, all in all, it would be relatively rare, because I think his body would probably end up somewhere. But um, like I say, it could, you couldn't say that he couldn't have been sucked out. So a friend of mine, when I was a young fella, he drowned in the manicure, and his body was found about four or five days, um, uh, or it wasn't a 90-mile beach, but one of the rivers uh, up there, uh, the beaches up there. Wow. Um, so that's one person that went missing and came back. But that was, so that was from in the harbour, and he ended up getting sucked right yeah, he was He was right up by Weymouth, you know. Um, Not too familiar with uh, So you get the, the Manukau goes out to Woke, comes up to Weymouth. There's a chip and they come into the bay that comes around that uh, conifer grove. Okay. He was in that bay, and they, three of them, uh, fell out of their, out of their boat, and Dave drowned, and uh, yeah, they found his body up on one of the north, northern beaches, um, four or five days later. The Manukau Harbour is a large bay, approximately nine kilometres north of NZ Steel. The Waiuku River, or estuary, flows into this, which then continues into the Tasman Sea. As Rich described, his friend drowned in the harbour and his body wasn't discovered for many days over 100 kilometres away on a northern beach. So if Jim somehow ended up in the water at the right time, it is possible that he could have been swept out. Even if it would be a rare occurrence for his body to never be found, it's not impossible. Rich and I keep talking, and he mentions another option that I'd not yet heard before, and it has to do with a tragic occurrence at a steel mill in Australia. Before we continue... 
I must warn that this content is disturbing and discusses suicide. Discretion is advised. I mean, well, my, one of the theories there was that um, there's a similar uh, plant as the stem wall in Aussie, as an Aussie, but uh, one of the guys was seen climb up to the uh, bolted steel and jump it, committed suicide, and apparently they'd never found any part of them, which you could understand. Wow, okay. Yep. Still and my thought was that if Jim wanted to um, hurt himself, um, that would be the way to do it. Now, I spoke to the, the uh, operators at that, um, at that area, and they said there's no way that someone could jump in there without me, without me seeing it. Now, I haven't been to the um, uh, control uh, area because I wasn't allowed to at the time. Uh, I, I could have um, probably gone through the channels and got up to see, but um, it didn't go that far. But anyway, the, the guy said there's no way someone could jump in there in there without me seeing and I'm thinking well you know you must have to go to the toilet you must have a cup of tea turn around and do something and maybe miss it and so um, to be honest I don't know the setup of getting to the edge of that and jump in I mean it's just one stroke by the the control room do you have to go through it right next to it would you hear it on the steel I, I, I don't actually know so I've tried to find details about this tragic story but have been unable to however I have spoken to an NZ Steel employee who was aware of the case, but believes that the equivalent scenario is not possible in the rolling mills plant. He described the Australian mill as having large containers full of liquid molten steel, almost like swimming pools. The employee had apparently jumped from above into one of these. Even if somehow Jim were to have made his way to this area at the Glenbrook Mill and had tragically committed the same act, it would have been noticed. The human body is made primarily of water. The instant a body would come into contact with molten steel, the water would vaporize and expand, causing an explosion. This is actually a relatively common occurrence at the Glenbrook Mill, as birds occasionally find their way into the buildings, and on contact with the steel, there's a significant pop and subsequent smell. So it seems virtually impossible that a similar event could have taken place unnoticed. And even if it had, it still doesn't explain the hard hat showing up five days later. Either way, Rich still believes in his mind that this is a scenario that can't be ignored. He recalls living on Williams Road and remembers that loud bangs and explosions were fairly common. When you've got like molten metal and you put water, and our bodies are made of water, into that, it's an explosion. And he said they hear when a bird goes in, boom, like, oh, something's gone in. So he said, like, if a person went in there, you'd hear it and you'd know something big had happened. Yeah. That I mean, I, I don't actually. I have seen that um, the the pit where they bore the, uh, the metal from the air. We actually visited it, but um, it's just pretty big. And from home, when we lived in Williams Road, there you could see every now and again just see more, but the high, the whole sky would open, would open up, uh, would would uh, lighten up. Yeah. You know, pretty impressive. Especially if you had low cloud, because it really showed that um, that glow. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, if a person jumped in there, uh, I don't know what the explosion or the or the um, effect would be. But um, you know, people that know more about it than I do would say it would be a huge explosion. Or mm. maybe if you dived in, uh, it wouldn't be that great. I don't know. Mm. You'd think so that if there was. Um you know, if there had been, you know, because anything can happen, like you said, someone looks away or there, there's something that distracts yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you'd think that after Jim went missing, someone might go, fuck it, you, I did hear there yeah, was that thing, and yeah. you'd probably connect something. When when we lived at Williams, you'd hear bangs, bang, bang, crash, you know, and you kind of go, you it wasn't it wasn't that loud, but you could hear bangs, mm. and, you know, people that work in the mill wouldn't be used to that. So if you saw a bit of a bang, you wouldn't be concerned because you hear them all the time, maybe, you know. Well, and I mean, you wouldn't be thinking something so crazy as that, would you? Yeah, well, the only thing that bothers me is that uh, recently, uh, from my memory, was um, just a few months at that uh, site in Australia where that happened. Mm. And if Jim knew that, maybe he, and, and if he wanted to hurt himself, maybe that's something he could do, you know. Yeah, well, that, I'm definitely... And really, really, he's been there that, that long, 
he'd probably know the quickest way to get up there and have a look. And um, I mean, I don't. I, I wish now, I wish I'd gone to the uh, operator's room, but uh, you had to have a certain amount of training uh, to get in there, and, and that stopped me doing a couple of things. Another thing that I couldn't do, you know, that massive big um, tower they have there. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. You'll see it. The, the highest one. Yep. yep. Yeah, so uh, one theory was that he would climb up to the top of that that had um, rungs right to the top and if you jumped in there it would be a hell of a drop and would kill you and they only used to open that thing, I can't remember if it was every six months or something like that um, and it wasn't due to be open for another three months um, so I, I tried to get permission for me to climb up that tower uh, that, that tower was so high that apparently on a clear day you can see Mount Taranaki from the top of there really? I was quite interested in doing that too. Yeah. But anyway, um, I, um, basically I, I had to have um, lots of training before I do that. So what they said was, well, how about you stand down the, down the bottom and we'll get one of our training guys to climb up there, which I'd rather do it myself, but um, yeah. we'll do that. And and uh, so we had our guy start, well, remember we had a good talk, and he started climbing. And he got about a third of the way up there. And he was obviously, I would say, quite quite scared, and I can understand that. I'd be this, exactly the same if it was me. But he said there's definitely no marks uh, up here, so there's no one moved up here or climbed up here because they had, uh, they had ramps, and then you had to walk a bit away and climb to another one and walk on that, you know, top of it. And he says no one has been up here, I'm 100% sure. And so I've got them to come down. And, yeah. uh, and that when they next time opened the, the bottom, uh, because I think they... I think from memory, when they check the bottom, they have to break out the, the bricks at the bottom and they have to re-brick it when they close yeah. up. So anyway, when they did that, next time they opened that, we checked it and there was no sign yeah. of... It'd be something. Yeah. yeah, and I think um, you, there would be some clothes at least left there. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As I listen to Rich explaining the different lengths they went to over time, it really just hits home how many different avenues have been pursued in this case. Multiple detectives over decades have really looked at every possible angle. How is it possible that to this day, not a single trace or piece of evidence has ever been found? It just reinforces my belief that the real keys to this case lie not in direct evidence, as there obviously is none. It lies in what people know. It appears that the only thing that wasn't investigated extensively was the staff at the mill. Oh, there was another thing, mate, we tested that, the, the acid bath. Um, we knew it was quite a low, low uh, strength um, acid. I can't remember what the acid was, but I think it's hydrochloric and it's yeah. very low strength. SAR SA, uh, said that no, look, there's no way that would divide, uh, dissolve his body. But anyway, we asked some, or we came to the decision that we'll put some, uh, get a leg of pork and put that in there just to see what it does. And they did that, and there was very little um, effect. Oh, so you actually did throw something in there to yep, see? that should be in the file. Um, okay. And maybe you're not allowed to, to hear about that, or, so, or for some reason, I'm not sure. But anyway, that's what we did. Yep. And there was no um, there was no uh, decay too much on yep. the pork. We also, we also tested the acid, and there was no, there was no human remains yep. in that. It was quite a big, big bath. Yeah. Um, and we had to, had to use the crane to lift off the, all the, uh, the uh, lids off, which is a big job, but we did it. Yeah. And uh, there was no sign of him in there uh, by yourself either. In the early stages of the search, there were footprints found which appeared to show someone walking away from the mill and down towards the river. Naturally, these footprints would point towards the fact that Jim may have entered the water. However, Rich is confident he knows who left these footprints, and it wasn't Jim. 
Um, do you recall at the time there were some footprints? Very well. Do you know that um, people said that uh, they'd saw these footprints down on the on the sand? And uh, one of my friends, <laughs> we were hunting pheasants just before a couple of days, or might have been, uh, I can't remember, just before Jim went missing. Uh, he was chasing a wounded pheasant. I think it was a wounded pheasant. I can't remember. He ran, he was running down in his gumboots. I think he went down in the sand, but in that area, right in that area, came back. He didn't didn't get what he was chasing. Um, and I think it was probably his boot prints. Uh, one of the search guys who uh, I knew quite well because uh, he's a brother of a good friend of mine from school. Um, Glenn, uh, can't remember her last name. Uh, sorry, mate, I, I do yeah, yeah, forget people's yeah. names terribly. Um, I he's still on the job this morning. Well. He did, did a good job. But he saw those uh, boots that I think uh, Jim was, uh, was said to have been wearing or... or or yep. access to them, and he said it's not that same tread, and he was pretty sure of that. So, yep. and I was pretty sure it was my mate. So. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and a, a reasonable chance it was uh, my friend. Yeah, but when it, when the tide will go, tide goes out. There's almost no water left when that when it goes yeah, out. Yeah, I saw it the other day. And uh, you can't walk too far in that um, in the mud because uh, suddenly it starts. It's ankle deep, and then bullfights knee deep or or, or deeper. So you got to be a bit careful. Yeah. Um, some of it, the, the mud is very deep straight away from the edge. You know, you have to know the, the beach a little bit yep. to know where you can walk without being thigh deep in mud, you know. Yep. Um, so, yeah, you, I mean, you we're talking about um, basically day one that they saw those footprints, and that's how easy it would be easy to find them if he was hiding there, you know. So, yeah. it's, it's, uh, to my mind, it's not possible. Due to the nature of the thick mud, it seems that if Jim or someone else had entered the water, they would leave deep tracks, even after the tide. But Rich goes on to say, there are still places you could enter the water at high tide without leaving footprints, so it can't be ruled out entirely. But how it would fit logically into the rest of the facts, I don't know. Rich's grandchildren are getting increasingly restless and have taken to writing signs asking how much longer. And I remember that candy waits for no person. As I wrap up the interview, I ask Rich if he could go back, is there anything he'd do differently? If you could go back now to that first initial time, is there anything you'd do different? No, I don't know. I think we did a good, a good idea of the search. I probably was in charge of that at the time, but we, we all got stuck in and had a look around and the staff were fantastic. <coughs> the management of the Stillmore, uh, Stillmore were very good as well. Um, uh, personally, the only thing I can think of is I should have gone and did the training to go and see the uh, operation area of the boiling. Uh, uh, it kind of pushed me that area because of the incident in Aussie. It's very similar, and all those people at that mill would know about. I think. <clears throat> um, now I think I think at home wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Um, it, maybe they're coming up to a dis- decision, but I don't think. Um, to my mind, there's no my, nothing in my mind that would make her want to get rid of him, you know, illegally, you know, even with a crime, I don't, I don't think. Um, no, I can't think of anything else that I'll do except those things I've mentioned. I, I don't think we, there's nothing that I can think of more that we could have done better. There probably are, but nothing yeah. that strings, brings to mind. I pack up and make my way home and reflect on the day. I'm super appreciative Rich took the time to have a chat. He's a great guy, and I can tell it's a little bit of a struggle to get his point across at times due to his injury. But it's been really important for me to get a feel of what did take place in those early stages of the investigation. It does seem they went to some length, but as I've mentioned earlier, the only thing that sticks out to me is the lack of questioning of the mill staff themselves, particularly after the hard hat and items were found. When looking at the official police timeline, there's a relatively short list of names, about 11, of staff that had had some interaction with Jim either on the day of his disappearance or in the days leading up to his disappearance. One of these names is Dean Forsman. And according to the police timeline, he was the last person to ever see Jim alive at 8.30am. We briefly heard from Dean in the first episode about safety at the mill, 
In this episode, we're going to discuss the morning Jim went missing and what Dean can recall. Dean didn't work in the same department as Jim, so didn't personally know him. So we're just going to focus on the details of his sighting. So why don't you take me back to um, to that morning uh, that he went missing, and and you saw him this last time? Can you what can you recall of that? Just as he was, we just walked past each other, but he, uh, he had a orange steel mill swan dry on. That's all. That's the only thing I really remember. And you remember I that think, quite specifically? Yeah, I think they were quite they were quite new then. We'd just been issued with them, or I think I can't really remember, but okay, yeah, it, okay. it was nice and clean anyway. Put it that way. According to the police timeline, Dean saw Jim from a distance of about ten to fifteen meters, walking past the four high pulpit, heading east towards the lubrication unit. He described Jim as wearing an orange fleecy jacket, yellow hard hat and glasses. While this may seem innocuous enough, there are a couple key differences here that I want to highlight. Firstly, the other reported sightings of Anthony Karkow, Stephen Morris and Gareth Manning all take place between the times of approximately 6.15am and 6.30am. Then there's a two hour gap before Dean states that he saw Jim at approximately 8.30am. The other notable difference is Jim's attire. Anthony Karkow reported Jim as wearing a standard mill jacket, yellow helmet and glasses, whereas Dean reported him wearing an orange fleecy jacket, yellow helmet and glasses. We know that Jim was wearing a yellow helmet, as we see this in the photos taken when Jim's helmet was found, but now Jim is wearing a different jacket. According to Jim's wife Tracy, this is proof that Dean is mistaken, that he couldn't have seen Jim. It must have been someone else, as Jim didn't have a fleece jacket. But Dean is quite certain he saw Jim, and specifically recalled the jacket being very clean, which would be accurate. And I'm reluctant to discount Dean's sighting on that alone. However, if the sighting was genuine, where was Jim during this two-hour gap? And why did no one see him during this time? And why would he now have a fleece-style jacket on? Okay, so you, yeah, he walked past you. He just walked past, and I was just going about my duties. And then the, the next couple of days, you hear that he'd gone missing, and oh, okay, yeah. So when when do you remember where he was when he walked past you? I believe I think I was walking from the six high to the four high. You probably got a a yep. little chart there. Yeah, so I, I've got here. It says Cold Strip Mill. And it's got yep. six high and four high, these two oblong sort of things next to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I was walking from the six high to the four high. Okay. And is that just sort of a, were you up on a gantry or anything? Or is this just... No, 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 just, just on the ground. Okay. So so you saw him walk past, you just literally crossed paths. Yeah, just crossed paths and that was it, yeah. Yeah. Um, did anyone ever tell you that you're the last person to ever see him alive? No. Well, not well. The, 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 maybe the police said might have been one of the last people to see him, but yeah, I don't really know. No. So, were you working an early shift that morning? Uh, no, no. Well, we were eight to four thirty most days. So, I normally I normally get used to get there about seven thirty, quarter to eight, have a coffee, and then we'd we'd go off and study our tasks. So we 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 were eight to four thirty. Oh, okay. I've got here on the this timeline I've got from the police. It says that you saw Jim at eight thirty a.m. walking yeah, past. Yeah, the, yeah, that, that's probably pretty close. Yeah, that. So you'd be probably just getting into your day's work at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we we had a little compound up by the four high. Okay. So and our 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 office was down in between the six high and the pickle line or the roll shop that. There was a bunch of officers there. We were based in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see. Yes. Yes. So I, I, I went about a coffee. Okay. Had a bit of a chat, I suppose, and then we told what to do. So I would have headed off to that that four high to the other little hut, hut there. Yeah. And, and yeah. The, the spot you saw Jim that morning would that be pretty normal to see him walking in that direction? Um. Well, yeah, I suppose. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Not abnormal anyway. You might be wondering why I'm asking a seemingly mundane series of questions, 
but my reasoning is purely just to see if there was anything whatsoever that Dean might have considered abnormal in this sighting. If it indeed was Jim, then he was acting normally, walking in an area he normally would. I asked Dean about the subsequent days after Jim's disappearance, and the general feeling amongst staff. Yeah, well, probably the, 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 the next, that day, nothing, I suppose. Well, not, not that I knew, but the, the next day there was rumours going around that Jim was missing. So the, they had us um, walking through tunnels and you know, we'd be put into some sort of pairs and, and go searching, I suppose. We went all, 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 all over the mill, all over the grounds, in all the cable tunnels. So you know, I think they, they took it pretty seriously. Do you recall at the time sort of what the general consensus people were thinking? Oh, you get a, you get a thousand people in there and you know, one rumour leads to another. And it, but no one really knew, I don't think, because you know, it wasn't a very nice thought of finding someone like, you know, gone missing, I suppose. You, you always think the worst, so. I can only imagine from looking at pictures, I haven't been in there, but you'd be thinking if someone did want to, you know, take yeah. their own life, there'd be well, plenty of yeah. ways they could. Oh, there'd be thousands of ways, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, a place like that, I mean, do you think it's is it is it possible that a person could do something to themselves and and literally just never be found? Oh, I I don't I wouldn't I'd, I'd be surprised. Yeah, there's always got to be something, surely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um. The rolling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, you keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, there's always got to be something left. I think teeth or something or yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't think it was possible. Um, but can you recall your interview with the police? Not really, no. Like, um, do you recall them actually having sort of a sit-down interview with you and really running through everything? Uh, I can't really remember, to tell you the truth. Um, I think we were busy at the time. I certainly went across and, and said that I saw them and gave them the time, but... Probably, I don't, can't really remember it being too intense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, you'd probably remember if they really questioned Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. Think they were, I think they were just gathering facts and times and yeah. so probably. Do you, do you remember if they, you know, were they sort of interviewing everyone? You know, your other guys, the other two guys on your oh, team? No, no. I, I think only if you'd, if you'd had contact with but Jim that day maybe, or, oh. or seen him. So, okay. Yep. Did you um when they and I know we're going back eighteen years, Dean. So it's you know. But did yep. they sort of? Do you recall? Did they sort of give? Was it like okay, we're going to do a bit of a grid here, and did they say look out for anything that you might find? Yep, yep, yep. They said look for anything that's that's unusual or you know, it's quite a big um, place, the mill, and even not the buildings. There's tunnels underneath, full of cable, you know, cable tunnels, and and then there's also all the land that goes down to dams that they pump water to. And yeah. So, you know, it's quite a big area to search. When you guys did, everyone did that search. Um, on the so that was the next day, or say the twenty second would have been the search. Yeah, probably you, the twenty second or the end the twenty third. So there was probably two days of searching. Yeah. Well. I think there were yeah, different times and different places, and so. Okay. Would you say on that search that you'd felt like the bases had been covered off there? Yeah. Yep. You know, if anything was going to be found, it would be found that day. Yeah, I think it, it probably went over a couple of days. Yeah. We 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 were involved the first day, but I, I think. They also explored other plants, not just just the rolling mills. So, you know, probably the steel plant, and the iron plant, also. Mm. So, um, you knew about the fact that Jim's hard hat got found five days later. Yeah, yeah. So they say. I, I, once again, I didn't see it. It was only I was told. Reports finding a helmet at Ringer Roll Stand Number One. 
Is that familiar to you? Yep, in the skin pass. Uh, so we, so that pickle is that, line. so that's oh the pickle line okay yes CPL pickle line yeah okay pickle line so that's opposite the cold strip mill just next to it yep yep that yeah it's sort of yeah was um that place from that ring a roll stand number one can you sort of visualise that now yes yeah, sort of yeah um I'm just trying to think so if a helmet was sitting there when when that two day search happened. Do you think it would have been found? I would have thought so. Because but, hey, you know, I'm only that, that's my personal view. I don't really know. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, all, that's yeah. all I'm asking for here. Is this your, yeah, yeah, your yeah, thoughts? Yeah. yeah, I would have thought so. So it was quite. It did sort of stick out. Yeah, um, yeah. And it would seem odd that it wouldn't be found in that initial that initial search. Yeah, yeah. That, will, that, that is strange. Yep. Again here. I realise these questions might seem a bit tedious, but my line of reasoning is just trying to ascertain the likelihood that the hard hat could have been missed in the initial searches. Because clearly, if it couldn't have been, then that has some serious implications for this case. You're going to hear me ask this same question of a number of mill staff. Another important question that I ask every mill employee is if they knew of any gang presence at the mill. Were you aware of any sort of gang presence in the mill or anything like that? Was there any sort of people that you sort of were like, keep away from them, like there's some dodgy stuff there? No, not at all. Not that you ever ran into? No, I never saw anything or heard anything about anything gang-related. Yeah, no drugs or anything like that? Not that I know of. I mean, the, the police used to have... Drug search dogs sometimes. I think it was just a random thing every now and then, you know, probably more for the contractors. Be, 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 be. So I think probably t- twice in my time there, you'd come in and the, they'd have the police, the police dog where you walk through the gate and yeah. they'd, they'd, they'd sniff your lunchbox or whatever. Of course. One person saying they can't recall any kind of gang presence doesn't mean there wasn't. But as we start to pile more of the same statements together, we do start to get a better understanding of what was or wasn't going on at the mill. The occasional use of police drug dogs would certainly indicate that NZ Steel appears to have had a zero tolerance on drugs in the workplace. And with the type of machinery being used, you can see why. A common theory is that Jim perhaps witnessed something he shouldn't have, say a drug deal, and that he was then taken out as a result. While this may sound far-fetched, New Zealand does have a heavy gang presence, and they can be extremely heavy-handed when they want to be. It wouldn't be the first time a person would have been murdered for seeing something they shouldn't. I thank Dean for his time and wrap up my interview with him. He's the first person on the police timeline that I've spoken to that apparently saw Jim that Monday morning. Although if it was Jim, Why was he now wearing a different jacket? And where was he during that two-hour gap before the previous sighting? Personally, I've always felt the discovery of the hard hat is key to this case. But I'll admit, when I first started this investigation, I figured the most likely scenario was that it had simply been missed in the initial searches, and that likely Jim put the hard hat there the morning he disappeared. But I knew from the outset that answering this question was going to be key either way. But as I've moved along with the case, I've found that my mindset has changed. We heard from Brian Meeklejohn that he believes it had to be planted. And now Dean admits it's unlikely it could have been missed. We've seen the photos of the hat where it was found, and it wasn't hidden. So if we can discount the fanciful story that Jim somehow entered the mill again at a later time and placed the hat there... That leaves us with only one other option. Someone else did. And then one final question. Why? Guilt is written, produced, and edited by me, Ryan Wolf. The title track is Nuclear Conception by Alison Winter. For further photos and video related to this episode, you can find a companion post on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ or our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ. 
For ad-free listening and bonus content, you can subscribe for the price of a coffee on Apple Plus under our Brevity Studios channel. You can also find further information on our website, www.theguiltpodcast.com. If you have any information related to the disappearance of Jim Donnelly or the subsequent search at the mill, you can contact us anonymously at brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com. A note from me. If you're listening to this episode around the time of its release, then I'm currently in the Himalayas, somewhere between Kathmandu and Mount Everest. As such, there will be a delay of a month before the next episode is released. Maybe you could go back and recap what you've heard. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and I'll be seeing you all very soon. On the next episode of Guilt. I put an idea through for this uh, automatic dander, which put the steel strips around the coils, basically, to stop them unwinding, like a big toilet, uh, toilet rolls, you know, that are steel sheets. And he sort of, like, took to my idea quite well and was getting quite excited over it, like, like uh, yeah, well, that's pretty awesome. And I, I sort of never really seen him so upbeat, I thought to myself, because if he's, oh, he's an odd, odd dude, eh, man? Like, uh, it'd be like one day he'd talk to you and in other days he'd walk straight past you, like, eh, in a one-on-one situation, he'd just look straight through you, you know? It's almost, he's almost uh, super intelligent. But when I went back sort of a few weeks later, well, a week later and then another week later, I remember I had a new guy on the crew and he was sort of like, um, obviously been briefed on what happened and stuff. And I was like, okay, guys, well, we actually need to go out, keep looking around the plant. And, you know, because the rolling mills, there's just tunnels everywhere. There's cable tunnels, um, water tunnels that just go everywhere. It's a maze of tunnels underground, like linking other plants. And it's actually very scary. And it was a shitty old night. And this guy, um, I remember him sort of, he's always a tough guy, but he's saying, like, oh, I didn't sign up for this shit. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.